And good morning, Journey. Man, I am glad that it is December. Say the number 31. Say it again, 31. That's how many days are left in 2013. And I don't know what you set out to do this year or what you planned to do this year or what your goal was for this year, but you've got about 31 days left to finish it if it's going to be done this year. Uh, and if you can't get this year, then, uh, man, make, make the last 31 days of this year what you wish the entire year would have been uh, and then kick off 2014 in, in, uh, in just a fantastic way. I love this time of the year. I, I love December. Uh, I love December because of Christmas. I love December because of the days off that I used to get in school. I love December because of the championship sports that begin to be played. The Missouri Tigers are going to be in the SEC championship game next Saturday. Sporting KC is playing in the MLS Cup Saturday at uh, Sporting Park. The Chiefs are playing the Broncos today at 3, and we should pray for them probably. Um, if, uh, if today's anything like the last few weeks, um, the Bronco fans are going to have a good day, and, and we Chiefs fans will just keep praying. Uh, but I love Christmas. I mean, I love, I love Christmas Day. I love the Christmas lights. I love Christmas cookies. I love Christmas music. I just, I just love the Christmas spirit. I think there's something different in the air in December. And I just absolutely love it. And at our church, we started last week a series that we're going to walk up to Christmas Eve with titled The Real Christmas. Uh, There are so many creative things and spins that have been done on the Christmas story. And and they're all great. I love Christmas movies. I don't know that I mentioned that. But from Clark Griswold to Buddy the Elf, I mean, like some of my favorite characters in the world um, to the kid who wanted the Red Rider BB gun. I mean, some of my favorite characters in the world are Christmas characters. But the greatest story of all is the Christmas story in what we call the real Christmas. And we started a series last weekend just called The Real Christmas. We said this this year, let's not be fancy. This year, let's not be creative. This year, let's just open the Bible and study the real Christmas, the biblical story of Jesus. Let's just study the real Christmas. And last week we started in Matthew chapter one. And we looked at 17 verses. We just looked at the genealogy, like who Jesus was related to, where he came from, and and how that impacted us. Uh, And what we found out last week, as we begin to start the Christmas story, we see that God didn't start with the birth of a baby. He started with the lineage of who that baby would become. And we said last week that for God, Christmas doesn't start with the story of a baby. Christmas begins with a reminder of our need for a Savior. And if you look at Matthew 1, verses 1 through 17, all that is is a reminder of the salvation that humanity needs. So God wanted us to know, before I tell you anything about a baby, I need to remind you about your need for a Savior. Last week we looked at those 17 verses and we we see that the birth of Jesus, we said, according to biblical history, the birth of Jesus was the most important spiritual event, the most important spiritual break in time in the history of the world. In the 6th century, we looked at a monk by the name of Dionysius who decided that he was going to basically redo the calendar starting with the birth of Jesus and everything counting down to the birth of Jesus was going to count down to one. And then from the birth of Jesus, everything was going to count up from one. And by the year 1500, the whole world had adopted that calendar. The United Nations now uses that calendar, which means when we celebrate 2014, we're celebrating 2014 years from the birth of Jesus. Literally, the birth of Jesus changed the way that we keep time in the world. We saw that the birth of Jesus, we were introduced to Jesus, the Messiah, the son of Abraham. And we saw how the birth of Jesus was the spiritual link, our spiritual link to the history of God's relationship with humanity through Abraham. And the birth of Jesus is our spiritual link to eternal life. And then Luke traces Jesus back to Jesus, the son of Joseph, all the way back to the son of Adam. Luke shows us that Jesus was our link to a human savior. And because our Savior was human, he knows what we struggle with. He knows what we go through. He knows the fears we have. He knows the stresses we have. He knows the exhaustion that we feel. Luke presented Jesus as very much like us. And then Hebrews says Jesus came as a human servant so he could be tempted and suffer all the ways that we are tempted and suffer. So so he'll know exactly how to help us in our time of need. But we said most importantly that Christmas, the real Christmas, is really our link to a second chance. We said the bottom line of the Christmas story as presented to us in Matthew chapter 1 is the real Christmas. 
the real reason for this season, the real Christmas is about messed up humanity connecting to a perfect God through a willing Savior. That's what Christmas is about. Messed up humanity connecting to a perfect God through a messed up Savior. And let me tell you this about your 31 days that you have left. Maybe this year for you, you think about your New Year's resolutions. Maybe this year has been a failure for you. Christmas time reminds us that you can start over. Christmas time reminds us that you can have a second chance, a third chance, a fifth chance, a tenth chance, a one hundredth chance. Christmas is the time of year to be reminded that all things can be made new because Jesus came to give us another chance. So that was last week. We walked up to the meaning of Christmas. This week we begin where we left off and and we go from the meaning of Christmas to the story of Christmas. If you have your Bible, we're in Matthew chapter one. If you didn't bring a Bible today, our ushers are going to go down the aisle. They've got Bibles that you can use. If you need one, just wave at them. If you don't have a Bible, put your name in this one. It's yours. We've given away almost 600 Bibles since our church began this way. If you just want to use a Bible today to read the Christmas story for your own hands, but, but you have one at home, just throw it on the table when you leave. But every Sunday we're going to open the Bible and read it. So the one they gave you today, bring it back with you next week. Because we'll continue the story of Christmas uh, next Sunday, the Sunday after, the Sunday after, uh, and on Christmas Eve. And this is what Matthew 1, 18 says. The, the, the meaning of Christmas is now turning into the story of Christmas. Matthew 1, 18 says, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah. Now, you need to underline those words, Jesus the Messiah. We looked at that last week. Messiah is a Hebrew word for king or savior. Christ is the Greek word, the same Greek word for um, king or savior. And the English word, of course, is savior. So basically, this is saying this is how the birth of Jesus, the savior. This is how the birth of Jesus, the savior came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law. And yet he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll give birth to a son and you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. Now, I don't know how it worked in your family, but here's how it worked in my family. I found out that Danielle was pregnant after Danielle found out she was pregnant. As a matter of fact, I don't know of a husband in the world who was the first one to know that his wife was pregnant, at least not the first time. And just trying to play that guessing game is not safe, guys. I don't know that I'd ever look at your wife and say, are you pregnant? You know, let let her come to you. That'll work much better for everyone. But this this story was actually told to Mary first. If you have your Bible, I want you to go to Luke chapter one, because Joseph heard that Mary was pregnant from Mary. You say, how did Mary find out she was pregnant? God told her through an angel in Luke chapter one. Remember last week we talked about the four men who had written stories about the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew and Luke were the only ones who wrote about Jesus' birth. Mark and John both started with Jesus as an adult. They were focused on his ministry and what it would mean to mankind. But Matthew and Luke needed to go back to his genealogy to connect him to Abraham, to connect him to Adam. So in Luke chapter 1, and here's how I want you to hear the words of Luke chapter 1. Luke was not one of Jesus' disciples. Luke was a doctor. He was a Gentile, which means he wasn't Jewish, and he was a friend of the Apostle Paul. Some believe that Luke was the Apostle Paul's personal physician, that perhaps at some point in some city when Paul was beaten near death that they called Luke. Luke waited on him, became a Christian, and became, in the book of Acts, we know that Luke traveled with him, but a lot of people think he was his personal doctor. At some point, Luke decided that he wanted, from his own perspective, to write a story about Jesus. And as a historian, Luke was probably the only one of the gospel writers who did not write from his own eyewitness account, but actually sat down and interviewed people. So as we read Luke chapter one, we're probably hearing the words of Mary, not Luke. If you can picture Mary and Luke sitting inside some some clay hut somewhere with a fire going in the fireplace or sitting out on the hillside and, and Luke with his little quill and his little papyrus saying, now tell me how this happened. Mary begins to recount in her mind the story 
of finding out how Jesus was born. And it sounded like this, according to Luke. In Luke chapter 1, verse 26, it says, Now in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, you should underline that. Not a lot of application there, but you should know for biblical truth. Elizabeth was John the Baptist's mother. John the Baptist was six months older than Jesus. John the Baptist was a relative of Jesus. John the Baptist and Jesus more than likely grew up together, played together, went to Jerusalem together. And we find out that one of the first people that Mary told that she was pregnant was John the Baptist's mother, who was also pregnant. And the angel said, God's doing something special in her, too. So you guys should go kind of share your stories with each other. Again, not a lot of application to change your life, but some biblical truth that you should know. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. Those of us who went to Israel were there just a couple weeks ago. They have a statue next to an excavated part of first century Nazareth of the angel Gabriel talking to a young Mary. It's one of the coolest places in Israel. Um. Where am I? Verse 27. To a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. You know, as, as I begin to look at the real story of Christmas, and I begin to look at the real people in real places. Like I said, we were just in Nazareth, and there's commemoration to who these people were in these places where these things happen. I want to be honest with you. I'm amazed at the, at the spiritual players in the story. I'm amazed at their faith. I'm amazed at their actions. I'm amazed at how this story unfolded. And I'm amazed at the special people that it took for God to connect with humanity in a way that would change all of us. And as, and as I look at this, I've actually titled today's Bible study. If, if you look at the top of your sermon notes, I tried to, I tried to think about like the phrase that kept coming to mind is, is I tried to put myself in Matthew, in, in, in Joseph's shoes, and as I tried to put myself in Mary's shoes, um, the thought that kept coming to my head, if an angel woke me up in the middle of the night and said, hey, and dropped all that on me, I think my response would be, say what? Like, what? Like, what did you just say? Like, say, say that one more time. I mean, if my daughter was walking home from school and met an angel and came home and said, dad, you'd never believe this, but I'm pregnant. And God is the father. And this is just crazy, right? Like I'd say, say, like, say what? Like that makes no sense at all. And as I read this as an outsider looking in, it's like. This is crazy. But as I as I jump into the story and I and I try to read it with my soul, I try to read it with my spiritual eyes. There's some things that stand out here today that some of them are, are great teaching. Some of them are great challenges. But there is some truth in today's text that for me has been transformational, which means there's two type of teaching. Informational is you, you, you know, someone teaches and you learn. Transformational is someone teaches and you change. As I have read this week what Matthew and Luke have been trying to teach me, I think God has begun to mold my spirit and how I lead my family and my kids, how I act and react to people. I think God's beginning to change that in me because I've really been challenged by the truth in today's message And I want to share that with you this morning. Three things. As I look at what stands out at at the real Christmas in in this time of Mary and Joseph finding out that they're going to have a baby. The first thing I see clearly is is the announcements. I mean, you you cannot get into this story without seeing the grand, supernatural, spiritual fashion that God used to help Mary and Joseph understand what was going on. And as a matter of fact, if you just read the Christmas story as a whole... One of the major themes of the real Christmas that we find in Bible is that God wanted people to find out about it. 
Like if you were just to read the Christmas story start to finish in Matthew and Luke and say, okay, what's one thing that that like really stands out? It would be this thought that there are angels telling everyone what's going on. God wants to make sure in the busyness of life, in the formality of religious stuff, in just the day to day hustle and bustle of what we're doing. God wants to make sure that Christmas doesn't come and go without anyone knowing what's going on and what can happen in them spiritually through that. So we see angels all over the story of Christmas. We see angels seven specific times announcing what is going on so the people don't miss what God is trying to do. The angel told Zechariah about John the Baptist's birth in Luke chapter 1. Luke starts his story. The Old Testament says that the Messiah would would be preceded by a forerunner and it would be his sole purpose in life to be born, to grow up, to tell people who Jesus was. And that's where Luke starts his message is that that guy was going to be named John the Baptist. His dad was going to be Zachariah and Zachariah is a priest. He's in the temple one day offering a sacrifice and an angel comes to him and says, I clearly need you to understand what's going on. We know an angel told Mary about Jesus birth in Luke one. We know an angel told Joseph about Jesus birth in Matthew chapter one. He wanted them to clearly understand what was happening. But we also know it was the angels who told the shepherds about Jesus' birth in Luke chapter 2. And the message to the shepherds was, There has been born this day to you in the town of Bethlehem a Savior. God has sent a Savior for you. God wanted to make sure that Christmas didn't come and go without people realizing a Savior had been born for them. It was an angel who told the wise men not where to go. But after they had found Jesus, it was an angel who came to him in a dream and said, you can't return the same way you came because Herod wants to harm all the baby boys in this town. It was the angels that told the wise men to protect Jesus by leaving another way. It was the angels who then told Joseph to protect Jesus by saying, get out of town. Herod knows where you are and he's coming. So Jesus, the first two years of his life, actually grew up in northern Africa, in Egypt, where Joseph went to hide. And then after After Herod had died, it was the angels who told Joseph to go back to Israel and begin raising Jesus as a Jewish boy who will understand the customs and the religions and the importance of being a Jewish young man. As a matter of fact, you can't get into or out of the Christmas story without the angels. Not even Joseph and Mary would have known what in the world was going on if God didn't choose angels to tell people what was going on. But when we read the Gospels... When we read the good news that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John wrote down about Jesus, what we find out is what angels started, God expected people to finish. What angels started, God expected people to finish because angels kind of narrated the story of Jesus until the baton was passed. As a matter of fact, the last time we see an angel in the story of Jesus, we see angels at Jesus' birth. We see angels at Jesus' baptism and in, in the temptation in the wilderness where they came and helped him. And then after Jesus was crucified and he was buried and he had raised again, they rushed to the tomb. And who or what was inside the tomb to announce to them what had happened? It was it was an angel and then they were gone. And it was as if the angels had passed the baton to the disciples, to those who would be followers of Jesus. And they said, look, he's risen and he's come to see you. And our job is done now. Our job was to make sure you didn't miss what God was doing on planet Earth. Our job was to make sure you got it so that you could tell other people about it. But but now it's it's your job. What the angel starts, people have to finish. And I look at this and I think, you know, God, I, I wish I, like I wish the angels were still around. I think about friends and family members and neighbors that I really want to tell about Jesus. And I think, you know, I I wish angels were still around. But then I actually thought about that. And I thought, you know, I, I don't I don't actually know that that would work. Like if an angel showed up, think about a friend or family member, you know, who's far from God, who you really want to see connect to Jesus in a meaningful way. I want you to think about tonight at about three thirty or four a.m. What you think about what would happen in their life if while they were sleeping, an angel went and woke them up and said, hey. Like how, how many of you think that, that they would stay in the room long enough to have a conversation with an angelic being who was hovering there? Or if angels just appeared in the sky, you know, while you were out on a walk or maybe they were out hunting or they're watching their kids play soccer. Ball. Like you really think that would capture their attention? What I believe is that God knows that you and I actually have better access to people's hearts and their minds and their spirits than an angel would. And I think if God thought the best way to talk to people about Jesus was angels, he'd still be sending angels into bedrooms in the middle of the night to talk to people on the way home. But I believe what I have learned from the story of Jesus is this. 
the people that you and I know, probably we are their best connection to Jesus if we will open up our mouths and tell them what Christmas means and that a Savior has been born for them, and that's what Christmas means. Which is why we utilize this month, December, at our church for friends and family members and coworkers and relatives and employers and employees and coworkers to come to church because for some reason, December is the one month in the world that the world kind of stops because they realize it's busy. Like there's not as much sports in December as there is in August, in September, in October. Like there's just not as many basketball tournaments and soccer tournaments and baseball tournaments and football games. Like December, December is kind of hands off, especially the closer you get to Christmas, the more the more people kind of back off the Christmas calendar. And it opens up an opportunity for us to invite people to be a part of hearing who Jesus is and what he did for them, which is why which is why we're having Clayton King on December 8th and not September 23rd, because on September 23rd, a lot of you and your friends are going to be busy. And I just picked that date out of my head. I don't even know if it's a Sunday, but next Sunday, there's a really good chance, not only because of the season, but because of the time of year that you can you can bring someone to church with you. And I want you to hear what I just said. It's it's not good enough to just invite someone to church. You need to bring people to church. I love what the angels did. The angels appeared to the shepherds and, and they said, um, a, a child has been born to you. A savior has been born for you. And they didn't say he's over there. Where? Well, he's just over there. Listen, you know, want to know what, if you've ever driven around in Israel, you know why the angels just didn't point. The angels said, come and see where he is. Like, we'll take you because you'll probably get lost on the way there. They brought them to Jesus. The people that you want to see come to to a point where they can hear about having a relationship with Jesus, the best way to, to get them here next week is to bring them, to go to their house, to pick them up, to have lunch with them after church, to, to spend an afternoon giving a day of your life so that they can hear about Jesus. And then they can make their own decision. But if we will bring people, I believe that God can show them the Savior who's been born. It's why we're having a Christmas Eve service. We, we actually, when we found out that we couldn't have Christmas Eve service in the school this year because the school district wants their employees not to have to work at that time of year, which I totally understand. Our first thought was, well, I guess we're not going to have a Christmas Eve service. And we started talking to some of our leaders saying, hey, we're not going to do Christmas Eve this year. We don't have a place to have it. And what we heard from family after family after family was that's the only service of the year that I can get my my friends and family who are far from God to come to. Like, I know they'll come that night. Please do a Christmas Eve service. You can't not give us that opportunity. That's the only time of the year they come in here, and we just we hope something sticks this year. So we found a church down the, down the road on 150 Highway a few miles, a Seventh-day Adventist church. It isn't doing a Christmas Eve service. We said, can we use your building? They said, yeah. So we're doing services at 4 and 6. We're not doing that because we need to get together and sing Christmas carols. We're doing that because we believe people who are far from God need it announced to them that a Savior has been born for them. It's why when you leave today, we're going to give you these little business cards that we've made. I'm going to ask everyone to take five or six or ten or a hundred. Take as many as you'll pass out that, that you can put in people's hands and say, hey, if you don't have a place to, to celebrate Christmas at, if you don't have a church to celebrate Christmas at, let me invite you to come hang out with our church. It's a one-hour service. We do communion. It's a good time to slide Jesus into your Christmas, and maybe we'll capture their full heart and not just an hour of their Christmas season. If you'll, if you'll put this in someone's hand or you'll give it to a family member or a friend or a neighbor and say, hey, come to church with me. You see, the Christmas story couldn't have happened the way it happened without the announcements that it was happening. And if we as a church go through an entire Christmas and forget to announce to people what's happening, we've missed the heart of the real Christmas. I tell you what, the next two parts of what I have found out about Christmas this week are the parts that have really impacted me deeply spiritually. I look into the story of Mary and Joseph and I see some attitudes that really challenge me spiritually. Like I see who Mary and Joseph are spiritually and I want to be I want to be way more like them than like me. And I look at who they are and how they live and how they responded to these announcements. And like these had to be two of the greatest Christians that ever walked planet Earth. Like I look at their attitudes and here's the first thing that I notice about both Joseph in Matthew 1 and Mary in Luke chapter 1. Both of them had this spiritual attitude of being tuned in spiritually. 
they expected to hear from God. And it wasn't a surprise when an angel stopped them and spoke to them. They were raised in a culture. They were raised studying in Old Testament that today's called the Hebrew Bible. They were raised believing that God breaks into humanity every now and then to relate with humanity on a personal level. They were raised to believe that it wasn't extraordinary for God to want to be a part of your life. And because of that, they were tuned in spiritually. And when the angel was like Joseph, he was like, you know, what's up, angel? You know, and when Mary got stopped on the way home, he's like, hey, I'm Gabriel from heaven. And she was like, what, you know, hey, Gabriel from it. Like there was this expectation that it wasn't odd that God was speaking to them. And yet we live in a world today that that says, well, I've never heard God speak to me. That's it's not because God's not speaking. It's because you're not listening. You're not tuned in. And as a matter of fact, we find in Scripture people who they don't they don't hear God because they don't know how they've never been taught. In the early chapters of First Samuel, we, we meet a little boy named Samuel who would later become a priest and a prophet in Israel. And his mom had had had, had problems getting pregnant. His mom's name was Hannah. And she got pregnant. She said, God, if you would just let me have a baby, I, I swear I'll give him to you to serve you all the days of his life. So she got pregnant. She had a baby boy. She took him to the temple when he was just a little a little boy. Took him to the temple right after he was weaned, probably two or three years old, and sent him into the temple and said, here he is. He's yours now. And he grew up every day just doing little stuff around the temple. And one day he's sleeping. And as he's laying there trying to fall asleep, he hears Samuel. And he hears his name. He jumps up and runs to the only other guy who lives in the, the tabernacle at the time. His name was Eli and said, uh, hey, Eli, I heard you um, heard you call me. What's up? And Eli said, I, like, I didn't call you. Go to bed. He's like, OK. You know, it's like some of us when our kids show up in our room after we put them to bed. It's like, you know, I don't know what's going on. I don't care if an angel's in your room. Go to bed. You know, like it's it's past time now. Um, so Samuel goes and lays back down. And as he's trying to fall asleep, here's Samuel. And he jumps up and he runs to Eli. Said, hey, what do you what do you need? And Eli said, like, kid, I'm not not talking to you. And said, okay, sorry. Goes back. Third time this happens. Goes to Eli. Hey, I heard you say my name. What do you need? And at that point, Eli understood. You know what? God's trying to speak to you, and you don't have your dial tuned in yet. So let me let me tell you how this works. He says, Samuel, the next time you hear God say your name, I want you to say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And then God wants to say something to you. Imagine the expectation that Samuel laid down with it after that time. I mean, more than waiting for the elf on the shelf, more than waiting for Santa on Christmas morning. I mean, the anticipation of knowing God has a message for you. And all you got to do is stay awake long enough to hear him say your name so you can say, go ahead, God, I'm listening. I mean, the expectation of that young man when God said, Samuel, Samuel said, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And God began a lifelong relationship of speaking to him. Some of us have never realized that because we don't know how to recognize the voice of God. We're not tuned in. We don't expect God to speak to us, but he does. Scripture says that God speaks through his word. That's why that's why I'm such a a crazy pastor about trying to get people to read their Bible every day, because I believe not maybe not every day, but some days throughout the year, God's going to speak to you. And you're going to be able to stop and say, my heart is open. Okay, God, what, what, do you, what do you want to say to me today? God speaks to people through worship music. We had a team of our folks together Tuesday night having a meeting this week. And I said, tell me, in the last month, just tell me about something that's happened where you felt you've experienced God. And one of the ladies spoke up and said, when the worship choir sang on November 3rd, she said, the presence of God in the room with all the extra people worshiping, she said, just, I really felt like God was in the room. Someone else mentioned the, the ladies retreat. Somebody else mentioned something else. And it, it was like God spoke to me like I felt God in this moment. Some people feel God while they're serving downtown at the soup kitchen or while they're serving on the mission field. Some people feel God or, or hear God while they're praying. Some people hear God while they're riding down the road and they listen to Christian music. Some people hear hear from God on a Sunday morning. There's going to be Sundays you walk in here and you're not going to remember anything that I have said. But God is going to have laid one particular thing on your heart. And like it's going to it's going to stick in your soul forever. I have people all the time that say, man, when you said that one thing in that one sermon, like I've never forgot that. And I'm like, I don't even remember that. You know, it's like that was God, not me delivering that truth to your heart. Some people, it's at a men's or a women's Bible study or at their small group. But something sticks in their heart. 
And it's like God is speaking. And we live in a world who, because we're not tuned in, because we don't expect, we come in and out of church and we don't hear from God. We open our Bible and read it and we don't hear from God. We, we force ourselves to try to have spiritual experience to think that that's hearing from God. But that really just helps us feel good for a little while. We look at Joseph and Mary and, man, they were tuned in spiritually. And when God spoke, man, they, they were ready. I look at their attitude of being tuned in spiritually. It makes me want to be more like them. I see, number two, an attitude of trust. And I mean like real trust. Not spiritual trust like we talk about, but here's the level of trust I see in Mary and Joseph. Like God said something to them that to us sounds so outlandish, and their response was just whatever God says. Like whatever, whatever God says. That's what trust means. Whatever God says, I do. This probably in the last two and a half years, almost three years now, has been the simplest lesson that I have learned launching a church is that whatever God says, do it. It's been the simplest lesson that I have learned. It's been the most difficult lesson of my life to apply. Because every time I see people in Scripture that have this attitude where God says something crazy and they're like, whatever you say, it works out. And every time God says something that sounds crazy to me, it's like, I don't know, God. And I have to I have to walk through it with him. And I look at it. Joseph and Mary's trust. This whatever God says, and, and I see it leading to this attitude, number three, of simple obedience. They they were they were just simply obedient which leads to simple obedience. So what does that mean? It means what God says, I, I do. And what I have found in Scripture, and then reflecting on my own life, is that a lot of times I like to say that I trust God, but my, my reaction, my, my very detailed obedience, my very prolonged obedience, my very process-oriented obedience really says that I don't trust completely. And what I've learned in Scripture is sometimes the process can ruin the promise. Like sometimes God says, just do this. And Adam and, and, and Joseph and Mary were like, okay. And they had this unbelievable promise delivered to them. And then I look at Moses. And I look at Moses who was, I'm a lot more like Moses than Joseph and Mary. Who God said, I'm, I'm going to use you. And like God sets a bush on fire and begins to speak to him audibly. Not an angel, but God himself in the bush and says, Moses, I'm going to use you And Moses. Well, gosh, I, you know, I don't know that I can do that. What if Pharaoh kills me? And God's like, I'll take care of you. He's like, well, what if he doesn't believe me? And he's like, well, I'll help you do miracles. And he's like, I can't do miracles and throw your staff on the ground. It became a snake, picked it up. It's not a snake. I'll help you do miracles. Well, yeah, what if he can do greater miracles? And God's like, he won't be able to trust me. And he says, well, you know, I, what if, I, I don't feel comfortable being all by myself. He's like, okay, your brother can come and help you. Moses is like, I don't even speak well. Like, my words don't work right. And at that point, God said, son, I'm going to slap you. Like, stop it. God's actual words were, I made your mouth. Shut up. I know what you can do or not do. But it's like God told Moses, go. And instead of trusting, Moses said, what if and what if and what if and what if. And you know what, God, when I get my thousand questions answered, then I'll trust. That's not trust. That's that's like an, an, an agreement, but it's not it's not trust. It's not simple obedience. I look at Gideon, whose process almost ruined the promise where God said, I want to use you to defeat Midian. And Gideon was like, oh, man, well, you know, I'm the I'm like the youngest in my family. And my family's like the least in our tribe and our tribe's the least in Israel. And God's like, I've got all, I know all that. Just go. So, well, gosh, I don't know if I can go by myself. Oh, well, you'll, you'll get an army. OK, well, now your army's too big. Well, you know. What if they won't come? What if I lay out a fleece and it's wet? And God's like, all right, do that. And he's like, okay, what if I lay out a fleece and it's dry? And God's like, all right, do that. And finally he was like, just go. Sometimes the process of what we call faith, it really becomes kind of a, a bartering agreement with God. And it's not faith at all. And, and what I see when you, when you see King Saul, Samuel came to King Saul and he said, you're going to be king of Israel. And Saul was just blown away by that on the day of his coronation. He's hiding in the baggage and he won't even come out to become king. I, I see the apostle Peter when Jesus explains to Peter the ministry he's going to have and the death he's going to die. Instead of just accepting the promise for his life, Peter says, well, what about John? Like, is, is it going to be the same way for John? And Jesus said, don't worry about John. Like, just lean in to the promise. Just lean in in faith. Faith doesn't have all the answers. 
Faith is not a processed decision. Joseph and Mary, neither one, ask a, a, a lot of questions. And the questions they did ask were good questions. They just trusted and had simple obedience. And they saw the blessing of serving God rather than the baggage that came with it. And here's, here's a spiritual truth for you. When blessings become baggage, our spiritual glasses are broken. Like I read the story about Joseph and Mary and I think, how could God do that to them? Like, how unfair of God to pick a couple that's engaged? And why didn't God tell their parents and their grandparents and announce it to their church? And like, this seems so unfair. What a burden that God laid on Joseph and Mary because I'm very self-focused. But Joseph and Mary looked at it and said, what a blessing that God would choose that God would choose us. And I find out that when the first thing you focus on when God asks you to do something is the possible burdens that it can bring to you, your focus is off. When God speaks to your heart and says, go, and you immediately think about how that'll mess up your life. When God speaks to your heart and says, give, and you immediately think about all the problems that'll bring to your life. When God speaks to your heart and says, invite, and you begin to think about the awkward, when you make it about you in the burdens that serving God can bring to you, we're not like Joseph and Mary, but I'm telling you, that's me. I always make it about me. And man, when I look at Joseph and Mary and their simple obedience and how simple obedience just reacts to God's word, how simple obedience just follows God's spirit prompting our soul. And it, and it doesn't ask questions, which doesn't mean it's not concerned. It just means it trusts that God will take care of that. Man, I see the attitudes of Joseph and Mary and I want to be way more like them than like me. But probably what has challenged me the most this week and what has begun to really transform my thought process as a pastor, as a, as a leader, as a husband, as a dad, is their actions. Their actions that resulted from their attitudes that came as a result of this announcement that was given to them. Their actions blow my mind when I stop to focus on them. Now, we know that Joseph and Mary are good people. I mean, the Bible, the adjectives that the Bible describe, uses to describe them. In Matthew 1, the Bible calls Joseph faithful. Listen, when God calls you faithful, you're faithful. Joseph was a faithful man, faithful to the law. The Bible says that Mary was favored. Hi, Mary, you're highly favored. In today's modern English, Gabriel would have said to her, you're one of God's favorites. That, that's what that means. You stand out in a crowd spiritually. So we know they're good people. We expect good people to do good things. Their actions shouldn't surprise us, except these are not good people doing good things. These are good people doing, doing great things. And here, here is what has changed my perspective forever on the Christmas story. My forever takeaway from this part of the Christmas story came when I began to focus on Matthew 120 and came when I began to focus on Luke 134, because this was right after the hard news had come to them. Good news. Yes. Hard news. Yes. This was right after really difficult decisions needed to be made. And here's what Matthew 120 says. But after Joseph, here's what Joseph had decided. My fiance, who I've not slept with, is pregnant in Jerusalem and in Israel 2000 years ago to get engaged. Being engaged was as legally binding as marriage to break off an engagement was like getting a divorce. The judge had to grant it, but it could be granted in areas of in sexual infidelity, which Joseph thought clearly Mary had Mary had gone into. And after Joseph realized what he could do. In Matthew 1.20, it says, but after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. And I looked at Matthew 1.20 and I thought, I thought about that thought process and what happened in there. And then I looked at Luke chapter 1, verse 34, when it was said to Mary that, that she was going to be pregnant and she was going to have a child. And she knew not only was she not married, but she'd never been with a man. She didn't really freak out, but she contemplated this question. How, how's this going to happen? Mary asked the angel, like, How, how's this going to work? And I look at Joseph and Mary and, and in our day and age, think about how we would react to these things. The minute Mary told Joseph, here's what's happening. The, the second he heard it, because he knew what he was spiritually entitled to, Joseph could have said, no, no, I'm not going there. He didn't say no. He didn't say now. He said, how? 
He didn't he didn't say he didn't say this is over now. He said, I just need some time to work through how how I'm going to do this. I just need to think about how I'm going to do this. Mary, when the angel came to Mary and said, you're going to be pregnant, Mary, I believe, could have said, no, I don't want to do that. There are other places in Scripture where God told people like Jonah, go. And Jonah's like, no way, I ain't going. And Mary could have said no. Mary didn't say no. She said, how's how's this going to work? And here's what I begin to realize in my spirit about Joseph and Mary. It was more important to them how their next step was going to be taken than what their next step was. And here's what God began to show me this week. When Joseph was considering what to do, when Mary was wondering how this was going to happen, Joseph was saying, listen, I know I have the right to just dump her. But is that the right thing to do? I have the right. But is that right? I have the right. But is that what I'm supposed to do? It's as if Joseph knew the law The Bible grants me permission to act this way. But there's a difference between permission and responsibility. I've been granted permission in my soul to act this way. But if I'm going to act responsibly, I I really need to think about this. And there's this time of consideration. In John chapter 8, Jesus had one of these moments. Remember, Jesus is teaching and they bring to him a woman who's caught in adultery and they throw him at Jesus' feet. And they said, the law gives us permission to stone this woman for adultery. What do you think? And Jesus says, you're right. You have permission. You have permission to do that. Let's do it this way. The one of us who's without sin. Let that one cast the first stone. Because the law also grants all of us permission to be separated from God. So we have permission. But wouldn't our responsibility to this person maybe be to go the extra mile? In, in the book of Mark, Jesus is teaching in the, in the, in the uh, synagogue in Capernaum. And a man comes in who, who has a hand that's crippled. And he looks at the, the men, the Pharisees who are there, and he says, what, what should we do with this man who has a crippled hand? And they said, well, the scripture gives us permission not to heal him because it's on the Sabbath. And she said, you're right. We have permission to do that with permission not to heal him. But just in a responsibility for caring about people, like how many of you, if your donkey fell in a well, even though you have permission not to get him out on the Sabbath, how many of you would do it? Like, shouldn't we take responsibility to care for people and do this? And I started looking at my life and I started looking at a church that sometimes likes to trumpet biblical permissions more than considering biblical responsibilities that we have to the outside world. And I, and I looked at myself as a dad. I looked at myself as a boss. I looked at myself as a friend and as a son and as a brother. And I thought, you know what? There's a lot of times where I have the right to act. A certain way. I have the right. I have permission biblically. So and so is messed up. So and so has offended me. I'm I'm the boss, so I can lead strongly if I want. I have the right to do this. But is it the right way to do things? I have the right to chew my kids out for the way they've acted. But is that the right way to parent? I have the right to be angry with my wife for the way she's done something. But is that the right thing to do? I have I have permission. And even I I feel like God has called me in this situation to to see someone who's a part of our team and know that they're not going to be a part of our team any longer. And there's a right way to make that transition. Not saying that's an actual thing for anyone who's on our team. And you're wondering if I'm talking about you. I'm just saying there I'm learning there's a right way to do things. So I feel like my boss has really offended me. And I feel like I have the right to really act the way that I want to act. But is that the right way? To act. And, and I feel like as a boss, this employee's done this, and, and I feel like I really have to come down on them, but are you doing it the right way and at the right time? You know, as I considered Joseph considering, here's what hit me. In the time it took to contemplate how to do the right thing the right way, God spoke. In the time that Joseph and Mary paused, And said, I know, 
I know I have permission to act and react. I know I have permission to feel this way. But my Christian responsibility is not to do this. In the time that it takes to consider those things, God speaks into our life. And if we would realize that the team colors we wear are the team colors of Jesus and are the team colors of God's concern for humanity, we would worry a lot less about how things impacted us and how our reaction to things impacted people's perceptions of people who follow Jesus. And Joseph had the right, but he wanted to do it the right way. And Mary had the right to say no, but she wanted to do the spiritually responsible thing. And and I know this fact, just from Leadership 101, I know there's always a wrong time and a wrong way to do the right thing. I know that. I know there's a wrong way to have a, a conversation that has to be needed. I know there's a wrong time. You don't call someone on their birthday and confront them with something that needs to be handled or on their kid's birthday or on Thanksgiving Day. Like, I know there's a wrong way and a wrong time to do the right thing. But what I was challenged with through this text is that Christians need to focus on trying to do the right thing the righteous way. Christians need to focus on doing the right thing in such a way that it really honors God. And guess what? Sometimes... That means in the eyes of others, we're dishonored a little longer. But if God is honored, that's the righteous way to do it. Sometimes that means like Joseph that you have to you probably have to work through a lot of obstacles and maybe for a lifetime be thought of negatively by a certain group of people who don't know the whole truth. But that's the righteous thing to do is just let it go and live life. And I look at Mary and Joseph's actions And I look at their attitudes to this announced plan of God in their life. And I'm on probably my third or fourth time rolling over this message in my head Monday afternoon, getting ready to put it together. The last thing that I had listed on your sermon notes for today was the challenge. And as I get to the end of this message myself, and all of a sudden I end up going from preparing it for you to to preaching it to myself. And I lean back in my chair in my office And I literally, I said this out loud to myself. I looked at their attitudes, I looked at their actions, and I said, no wonder, no wonder God would use Joseph and Mary. No wonder he would use them. Like they truly have to be the best Christians who who have ever existed on planet Earth. And then I, I had that thought, and then right after that I thought, no wonder he would choose them. Not only did he use them, But he chose them, specifically them, because he knew that they could help him bring his plan to connect humanity, messed up humanity to a perfect God through a willing Savior. And as I was sitting there contemplating these two things, before I even typed them onto the page, no wonder God would use them, no wonder God would choose them. I thought, I wonder if God would have used me. I wonder if it would have been me engaged to Danielle 2,000 years ago. If God could have used us, if he would have chosen us. And I'm going to end this message by giving you the opportunity in just a minute to do what I did. As I was contemplating that, I literally rolled my chair out from underneath me. I got on my knees, kind of right between the desk and the hutch that are in the basement office that I use in my house. And I just got down on my knees and said, God, please shape me spiritually. So that you can use me. God, please help me to pursue you spiritually. Such a way that you would choose me. Because one of my favorite verses that I memorized in college is 2 Chronicles 16, 9. It says, the eyes of the Lord range throughout the entire earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. So if my son or my daughter comes up and asks me today, hey, God, hey, hey dad, what do you think God's doing today? Well, the Bible says that today God is searching planet earth for people who really love him. So he can strengthen them and use them. And if my kids ask me tomorrow, hey, hey, dad, what's God going to be doing tomorrow? And say, well, the Bible says that God's going to be searching planet Earth. Looking for people whose hearts are shaped in such a special way that. That God can use them and can strengthen them. And three days from now, four days from now, five days from now, and as I sat in my office on my knees. Thought, God. Thirty one days. 
once Sunday hits, 31 days, use me this December. I don't even know how, but use me this December. This 31 days, I want to give to you, and I want you to use me. I want to ask you to just bow your heads and close your eyes with me as our band comes. And we don't do this often at our church, but we're going to close today by just allowing in a few moments those of you who want to come and pray at our altar to just come and spend a moment praying. As I was praying with our prayer partners this morning in the back, and I was contemplating whether or not to do this just because it's a, it's a change for our church. I said, I, I don't know why God would, would be speaking to my heart to give an invitation except that there's someone in our church that like this is their prayer for this month. And they've thought about who they can invite or what they can do. They've thought about helping someone who's not going to have Christmas and buying some gifts for kids at Coldwater or bringing some socks for guys at the Hope Faith Homeless Ministry downtown. They've thought about doing something. Like they really want to be used this month, but they're worried. They've thought about inviting someone. They don't know if they're going to come. And maybe there's just one person here who needs to come and have a pastor pray with them that this month, this 31 days, God would choose to use them. So I'm going to ask Pastor Ryan and Heather, if you're in here, and Danielle, if you would watch. She's going to ask, in just a minute, I'm going to count the three. And if today you want to come and pray that God would use you this month for His glory, maybe come and pray that you you could learn how to hear God speaking to you. Pray over this realization that every day God's looking for people to use and it's kind of like you raising your hands and yeah, I'm ready, use me. And on the count of three, if that's you, maybe it's only one of you today, but you really want to pray, God will use you this month. On the count of three, I'm just going to ask you to come forward and just spend some time in prayer down here. The Bible says if you draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. There's just something about getting out of the seat and going forward. It shows God how serious you are about your prayer. It's like God says, you move, I'll move. I'll meet you halfway. But if that's your prayer today, I just want to invite you if you want to come forward.